Welcome to this special episode of Bickering Peaks. Today's topic is all about the music and sound of David Lynch. Hello listeners! Thank you for joining us for our very special episode on this Good Friday. We uh, had the immense pleasure of talking to two luminaries in the field of Twin Peaks music and Twin Peaks sound design. Um, We spoke with Claire Nina Norelli, the author of the 33 and a Third Angelo Badalamenti soundtrack from Twin Peaks book Book, that was released in March, I believe. And we also spoke with Andreas Hausko, who joined us from Copenhagen. Um, And he's the author of the book TV Peaks. He's the author of the book TV Peaks, Twin Peaks, and Modern Television Drama. Um, In addition to being a lecturer and all-around scholarly guy guy. (laughs) when it comes to he he did his thesis on noise yeah uh, which i I, you just can't get any yeah yeah. when it comes to (laughs) twin peaks and david lynch it's it's really a perfect fit um aiden well we yeah we talked to them about uh music how it works in the series uh you know uh andreas especially got into some of lynch's other works and how it kind of influenced twin peaks and how it wound its way around the series mm-hmm. and stuff and came back to it uh, in later projects. So, yeah, there, it covers the gamut, all, all sorts of things about uh, the music and the, and the sound design and, yeah, just the, the, the way audio is used in yeah, Twin Peaks. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, I, we, we hope you enjoy the, the discussion. I think it was pretty pretty broad. I think, obviously, these people know <laughs> a lot more than we did. Uh, so we should, say, we, we should say that Aiden and I, neither one of us are interviewers. So no, we, will, we yes. will preface this by saying I, d- I did a brief stint as an editorial intern of the now defunct uh, C Magazine here in Edmonton and did a few interviews that were terrible and uh, just I'm cringing now thinking about them. <laughs> but I was 18 at the time, so it's been 12, 13, almost 14 years since some of these experiences. And yes. uh, and I am more used to answering questions than I am to yes. asking them. So, yeah, it's it, we're not the best interviewers, but I think but they, we, they but pulled through. Yes, Claire and Andreas were... Did uh, the job for us. Abs- yeah. <laughs> absolutely pulled their weight when it came to, uh, to these interviews. But we were so glad that they agreed to talk with us yeah. and to contribute to this episode. We both think that music and the sound, while incredibly integral parts of Twin Peaks and David Lynch's overall works um haven't really been given the discussion space that maybe they might otherwise yeah and i think we were even guilty of that oh here comes our cat uh uh we we don't talk about the music nearly as much i mean we we make notice of you know individual scenes where a specific song plays and how that might tie into the the feel and so forth um I think it's, especially in the last couple episodes uh, that we've aired prior to this, uh, Lynch hasn't had as much direct involvement, so it's not as been not been as noticeable. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some some nice touches throughout uh, in terms of audio. Absolutely, and, sound. and the way that the music fits in, as we talked about with Claire and with Andreas as well, the way that the music is kind of weaved into the fabric of the episodes themselves, especially in the episodes that Lynch directs, but even in the ones that that aren't 
touched by his directorial flourishes, yeah. shall we say, yeah. um, still retain that kind of quality that makes it very distinctly yeah. Lynchian. And that's really, um, I think, a testament to Angelo Badalamenti's yeah, score, score. Yeah, which is incredible um, and, and just so unique yeah. in, in its breadth and, and, and expressive and, and distinctive yeah. and yeah it's just it is it's a real masterpiece and, and speaking of which uh i know something we didn't talk about with them but we should have and we could have i yeah. guess was the albums that were just released in yes the last couple months. yeah so uh the original soundtrack to twin peaks was remastered and re-released on beautiful 180 gram coffee colored vinyl vinyl yeah, yeah. and uh, back in I, I think it was last summer or yeah, it was supposed to be released early in, fall yeah, yeah. um and then in January, the Fire Walk With Me mm-hmm. uh, original score yeah. soundtrack was released on beautiful 180-gram cherry pie colored yes. vinyl. Um, these are gorgeous albums. They yeah. are absolute, if you have a record player, which I know not everybody does, but if you have them, you definitely have to buy these albums, mm-hmm. especially if you're going to be buying Claire's book because you really yeah. should be listening to the <laughs> sure. highest quality version of the original soundtrack mm-hmm. for season for, for the Twin Peaks, the series. Yeah. Um, you should be listening to the highest quality of that yeah. while you're reading that book. Yeah. But Absolutely. anyway, yeah, these albums are, are gorgeous. They were released by Death Waltz Records and they are still available. You absolutely should check them out. Even if you don't have a record player, who am I kidding? Just buy them because they're gorgeous to look at and they have amazing, the, the gatefold uh, liner notes yeah. uh, on the season, on the Twin Peaks original soundtrack uh, written by An- Angelo Badalamenti on the Fire Walk With Me. They were written by Mark Kermode. Um, so they're, they're just amazing in and of themselves to have as Twin Peaks fans if you're that kind of a collector. Yes. And if you're if you're an audiophile, then they're Absolutely, great. Absolutely, yeah. Then definitely worth the investment. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. And uh, I, just one small note about those. Uh, look at the track list beforehand because there were some of my favorite songs from the, the, the series soundtrack that did make the cut. Mm. Um, but, you know, all the classics are there. So, I mean, it's definitely... What, what do you mean? You were expecting other songs from... Yeah, I, I don't know why, but I was like... Oh, from the that? series? Or yeah, from, from the series. Uh, Firewalk well, this is, was pretty comprehensive. The, the, the first... The original soundtrack is the same as the one that was released originally for... Uh, okay. It's the same track listing. And then there was a season two that was released. Oh, that's right. You told um, me about that. That has yeah. more of the... Like, Shelley's theme is on yeah, there and yeah, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, they are... M- most of these songs are available. You can find them as digital downloads as well. Yeah. Uh, we also name check the uh, the Twin Peaks archive, yeah. which is brought up by both Claire and I believe Andreas. We talked about it with him as well, yeah. um, where the this this is the music that didn't make it onto an official album, but fe- was featured in the show or in the film in some yeah, manner, capacity, yeah. or wasn't at all and was an outtake that was used maybe a, a solo guitar version of. Yeah this song, song or yeah. the clarinet version of this song yeah. and uh and it's great to listen to it's it's oh it's 200 tracks or something yeah. like that yeah. and they are available i believe still available on the david lynch website for a small fee i think nine dollars or something okay or five dollars it's yeah, very yeah. very inexpensive to access all of these all amazing of tracks mm-hmm. so we'll throw a link up on the soundcloud page for you to check that out if you're interested as well as a link to the albums and to all of the extra supplemental links that you could think of for our illustrious guests. Yes. So Claire and Andreas's 
contact information their, and their blogs books, and yeah. their yeah links buy to books, yeah. buy their books as well. Yeah. So uh, anyway, we're not going to talk. No, we're not yeah, the focus of this. Yeah, we don't know anything either. So yeah, let's get to the interview. So we are super pleased to be here with Claire Nina Norelli. Uh, she has written a new book, which uh, came out a few months ago. Angela Badalamenti's soundtrack from Twin Peaks on the 33 and a third, uh, in the 33 and a third series. So uh, welcome, Claire. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Nice to finally get to talk to you guys. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. We were super excited to hear that this book was coming out because the music in Twin Peaks is something that I think people kind of just roll with, but they've never really, I mean, I, I haven't read anything that really gets into the kind of nitty gritty details like your book has. So this is, this is really exciting to have a book like this available to Twin Peaks fans. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, that's sort of what I felt when I wrote it. I'd read, read sort of small articles and essays and things like that to do with the music, but yeah. I'd never seen anything like a, a long-form sort of exploration of the music, and I felt it was well and truly time to do it. <laughs> Absolutely, and it couldn't have come out at a better time with season three, like, yeah. around right corner, around yeah. the corner. So it's perfect timing. So I was very lucky. I just happened to sort of get the idea to do it just as... And then, you know, the new series uh, obviously was announced. So I was right. sort of thinking, oh, wow, perfect timing. Yeah. So you had pitched the book already before the series was announced? I'm trying to think, actually. Maybe it was just around the time when wow. all the buzz started. So I pitched the book back in, when was it, July of 2015? Okay. I think there was some talk about the new series, but there was a lot of speculation, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. I think they just confirmed David Lynch was com- coming back after the uncertainty. So I sort of said in my um, pitch to the 33 and th- a third people that it- it's likely that the series is coming back and everything. So I think that helped, you know, just <laughs> sort of point that, that, that Twin Peaks was very much on the forefront of people's minds. Yeah, Absolutely. Definitely. Um, first question right out the gate is just... Um, well, it's the one we ask everybody. Yes. So yes, we definitely ask you. Uh, it's, it's, it's how did you first encounter Twin Peaks? What, what brought you into the series? Uh, well, I had uh, a friend and my cousin. They, I think they'd actually caught a razor head or something. Okay. And they were sort of telling me about this crazy film that they'd seen. This is when I was about 15 or 16. Okay. And I was just so intrigued at the idea of this film because I hadn't ever thought about cinema in that way as, as like moving art or anything like that I'd always you know more exposed to whatever was playing at the local cinema mm-hmm. and um yeah it's, it's just sounded so amazing and I finally saw it and I was just captivated by Razorhead and um and then obviously I found out about Twin Peaks and and I became quite obsessed when I was about 16 with Twin Peaks especially the music I remember asking for the CD for my my birthday present oh really I just played all the time yeah I probably watch listen to the music more now that I think of it than I did the series because the series had a bit of a was a bit hard to get a hold of at the local video store back then right oh that's fascinating that's really cool so so you realized pretty early on then that the music was something special that was worth studying or worth looking into I guess hey yeah, it was so moody and I was, you know, uh, you know what teenage girls are like. It was sort of a little bit moody and melodramatic and I just loved all the, the Julie Cruz love oh. songs on there. And then um, I, I'd already sort of had a fascination with sort of jazz music and things like that. So 
those other tracks on there I really um I really loved like Audrey's dance and things like mm-hmm. that so what was the process like for writing this book how did you how did you approach it um when, when it came down to actually start writing and researching this so my first thing that I did was actually just give the whole show a, a massive rewatch okay so yeah so I um I just basically just sat in front of the tv and took really meticulous notes about every scene anytime I heard a slight fragment of any of the music Uh I'd note it down and I'd um I'd sort of make a note what what was the context what how much of the music was played and and I ended up sort of being quite (laughs) obsessive and (laughs) and uh highlighting all the different colors to denote which you know all over my pages of which which theme appeared where and yeah (laughs) it it was very obsessive work but very fun obviously to to approach the show like that Mm -hmm. and then yeah, then I just I started researching uh, Badalamenti's career and I just, any interview that I could come across with him, especially around that time, because obviously that means, you know, when he was giving interviews around 1990, that that music was very fresh in his mind right. and how he created it. So I thought going back to that time period when the music was actually being written was probably a really good place because, I mean, obviously it's been 25 years and everybody's memory after yeah. 25 years is a little bit sketchy, sure. so... <laughs> I thought that, that was a, a good option. And then I even did things like I just read all the, the Twin Peaks related books, like Brad mm-hmm. Duke's book, obviously. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, and then I even Laura Palmer's Secret Diary, all that sort of stuff. So, right. yeah, it's just basically immersing myself in that world. Yeah, it definitely shows in the book like that they, they, uh, oh, this is. You. Yeah. And, and we should say, I mean, you're a musicologist, correct? Yeah, that's what my what I studied at university. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I'm coming at this like I'm I read music and I play music and Aiden nothing does not no, not at all and we both got something amazing out of the book like that's what what was really it was really fantastic like you've done a fantastic job of kind of oh, making it accessible you. for people who have musical background and people who have zero musical background. So it it's Right. Yeah, and and I mean we've we've heard it said from by other people that uh, really your book should be packaged with the soundtrack. <laughs> oh, that would be a dream come true, obviously. <laughs> right? Like it, it just matches. Like we listened to it as we were reading it because it was kind of uh, you, well, yeah, they just go together. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. It makes total sense. A couple of other people said that to me. That's that's the most amazing compliment I could possibly get is um, you know trying to write about music and convey what music does to you mm-hmm. is, is such a hard thing to do mm-hmm. and you're never I'm never going to fully capture just how um, just just how beautiful that music is right. you know using words because sometimes it's a it's a um what's the word it's an unexplainable um quality to that music mm-hmm. or yeah. any music really and trying to put words use words to describe music it's, it's actually quite a hard exercise but it, it's challenging it, yes. I really enjoy it <laughs> yeah and and you you absolutely did rise to the challenge it, mm-hmm. it's a it's a beautiful book it really is essential for any Twin Peaks fan we cannot stress that enough <laughs> yes oh, great thanks <laughs> as we were reading it we kind of re- uh, saw that you pointed out that in this for Twin Peaks it was very unique in that uh, a lot of the music was written before the series was actually filmed um and that was obviously really cool um but how else does this kind of like differ from typical tv and and how do you think it kind of impacted what uh happened on screen with twin peaks like how did it affect the the feel of twin peaks overall well i feel um one thing i sort of say a lot is that you know twin peaks was very unusual television especially for its time and the music sort of created uh um a consistency and and binded all this sort of 
narrative together, mm-hmm. especially when, you know, in the later half of the second season when mm-hmm. um, some of the, the plot lines were sort of a little bit all over the place right. just when they were sort of dealing with the, the, the killer being revealed and things. And I always found music in Twin Peaks creates a there's a, it unifies everything mm-hmm. and and also just you know there's such distinct themes and and also music on screen in that show um, you see characters actually reacting on screen to the music one minute you think oh this is just the background music and you don't pay it much attention and then right. suddenly you know you get if there's a pan out and you see Audrey's actually put that song on the record player in her father's office or something like that you know yeah. and she's actually engaging with that music or it's on the radio in the car with Bobby and Shelley and that that sort of thing and I find that um I can't think of another tv series where the what where that sort of thing happens I mean obviously there's pop songs and rock songs and things Mm -hmm. in tv shows and the characters are actually engaging with it but with Twin Peaks there was always this sort of um is this happening or is it not you know especially you know (laughs) when you look at the pilot episode and there's that boy that's dancing across the corridor yes it's uh it's such a strange moment because the whole time you've, you've been thinking that that music is actually background music. And it's yes. like, well, is that actually, like I wrote in the book, is it actually piping through the school loudspeaker <laughs> system? It's sort of, it's very strange. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I love about it. Yeah, it's almost like the, you know, Twin Peaks has this dreamlike quality visually and mm. the words that are being spoken are, are kind of, the plots are dreamy, but the music also has that quality too. And it's that, that blending of diegetic, non-diegetic music I think that really really helps with that too that's a that's a great point Mm -hmm. yeah definitely and it's very destabilizing at sometimes as well as and and you're not quite sure I think I made the point in the book you're not quite sure when and where this this place where Twin Peaks is or where it's occurring because the music is a little bit um, anachronistic at times and yet Mm -hmm. at the same time it sounds fairly modern Right. And time. So it's really, it's quite, it is like a dreamlike state, I think, you know, and the music really contributes to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's that working partnership, I think, between Badalamenti and Lynch that um, it comes through in other other places where they work together, the same kind of um, feel. Um, but it reaches this crescendo, I think, with Twin Peaks. Well, in Twin a way Peaks is that... just so expansive in that way. It's not, it's not just a two-hour movie right. with certain pieces written for... Yeah. You know, they come in and out like this. Like the music is really thirty hours of yeah, TV, exactly. But, that that yeah, has musical crazy. cues. Yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's wonderful. Like I just I love listening through the archives. Just you know, with yes, without the images and just listening to the different treatments. Um, I, I'm always really interested how composers, um, you know, they have a, a basic piece of you know theme, and and how you adapt it and how you can change it. Um, to just get different um, moods or, or to create, uh, yeah, just, just just the orchestrations are fascinating to me. Yeah, no, and that's something that, uh, listening through the archives as well, you see all the different tracks that have, like, this one mm. features a clarinet and this one has a saxophone and this yep. one is a flute, and it, it lends a different timbre kind of an, and tone to the, the music itself, and it's yeah. you bring that up a lot it's, in the book where you, where you uh, highlight different scenes and the songs that's used that the song that's used in that scene and how it was used in a previous scene and how just the different instrumentation lends a different quality to the scene that it's being played under. Yeah, absolutely. Because every instrument is, you know, has its individual tone and, yeah. and some sound organ obviously is a favorite of the Delamantes and I absolutely love everything that has a row. The Rhodes has a very uh, warm tone mm. and it's really used well in Twin Peaks, especially when it's sort of uh, heartfelt moments between characters and that right. sort of thing. 
Mm. Right. Yeah. And that was something else that, that kind of um, you brought up as well is, is uh, where the different theme is used or the same thing is theme is used in different scenes to give a different uh, emotion to that scene. And you, I remember the, the part where you talked about the scene with um, Audrey and Cooper's bed and how it, the, the song that's played when he first shows up in the room is the same as what was played when he was thinking about Caroline in the gun range. But then in the yeah. next episode, it's Laura's theme being played at the beginning of that episode when we when we finally get the conversation between Cooper and Audrey and just how Laura's theme takes on it. Uh, it, it kind of signifies the platonic relationship that they're going to experience oh, and everything. That was about the actual um, the Twin Peaks theme song itself. Right? I was yes. sort of I oh, noticed yes. a trend. Yeah, I noticed a trend with it like that. It seems to apart from I think it was the relationship with norma and uh, big ed right that appeared for them but apart from that it always seemed to from what i gathered with my notes i just sort of noticed it always sort of appeared in these moments um like that wonderful scene with um albert and and uh sarah truman <laughs> right you know where it's talking about a passive being a pacifist and stuff and yeah. i noticed that that's when that twin peaks seems tends to rise and i think that that's the scene sorry the one with agent cooper and audrey when he's telling her he wants to be friends. I think that that's when the Twin Peaks theme appears again, like yes. a different treatment of it. Yes. Yeah, so that's something I noticed when I was writing. I was like, hey, this sort of, it seems like something that would be more associated with romance and things, like mm-hmm. when it's, um, yeah, with Norma. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it just ten- tended to be in these sort of platonic situations, I found. Yeah, yeah, and that was something that, I mean, I, I watched the series a bunch of times, never noticed it before. Yeah. So, like, that's that's another great thing about your book is that it's forcing us to look at these things from a totally <laughs> different lens, and it's it's really colouring the series in, a, in a, a really great way. So There's so many ways you can look at that show. That's why I think it's got the, the cult fan base it does. I mean, some people go more into the mythology and all the uh, symbolism within the show. Yeah. And, yeah, and I, I guess my thing is, you know, I love music and, yeah. and um, there's so much to dissect with the music. I felt like I could have written a far bigger book and I had to remind myself that <laughs> it's a 30,000-word series and I had to sort of tone it down a bit. But, honestly, I felt I could have done so much more. I mean, I only really tried to keep it focused on the central themes from the first soundtrack album. So right. there's all that music, you know, other music on the archives as well as on the second season yeah. album release. And Firewalk with Me as well, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 Was there anything that almost made it that you wish you had kept in now after the fact? I think the one thing I was real thinking about recently was I probably would have liked to, I mean, obviously I wanted to keep the book focused on Angelo Badalamenti, mm. but I would have actually liked to talk a little bit more about how uh, David Lynch and his involvement with music yeah. and how from a very uh, early point in his career sound is, is such an integral part of his films yeah so I probably would like to have um, explored a bit more about David Lynch as sound man you know and, mm. and um, his relationship with someone like Walter Murch right. who uh, worked closely with him and you know helped him with the sound uh, work on his film so that that's definitely something I would have loved to explore more but like I said I had to keep it yeah. <laughs> um Sort of focused on the on the Delamenti. Maybe volume two. two yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. I'm sort of thinking, what, what else can I write now? Now that I've opened up, <laughs> I've gone into that world, and I felt so much more I could write. You know, sure. So yeah. Who knows? <laughs> right. Yeah. No kidding. Awesome. Especially with the new season. Like, I mean, oh, yeah. I'm exactly. so curious. Of course, what the music's going to be like, and yeah. how whether they're going to use the original themes and if there's going to be new treatments of them. And so, yeah, yeah who knows? Uh, yeah, that'll be fascinating to <laughs> Yeah, to watch <laughs> over too. for sure. Um, 
there were a lot of things that surprised us as we were reading, like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like the, the treatment of the themes and everything was one. Um, but was there anything that really surprised you uh, when you sat down to study the music and the show itself? Um, I think, I think um, one thing that really I, I noticed was, you know how I uh, wrote about the Laura Palmer theme and you can break mm-hmm. it up into these little sections, mm-hmm. was that um, what I called the doom motif, which was like that little uh, dissonant interval and how that was just sort of used just as a fragment later in the on series, own, just yeah. as an almost very soap operatic, um, you know, stinger. Mm-hmm. I found that yeah. quite amusing <laughs> because yeah. it, was, it was quite funny to... <laughs> You know, like, just was very cliched soap opera, you yeah, know, those yeah. kind of cliffhanger moments. Right. Um, like when um, those flowers arrive for Donna's mother and, and yeah. stuff like that, I found that amusing. So those are the little things that I discovered as I was really, you know, meticulously taking notes were quite funny. So yeah. I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. Um, oh, yeah, so yeah. Just, just those little moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff that you wouldn't necessarily notice maybe consciously mm. when you're watching it, but yeah. that is yeah. it, playing along in the back of your mind right yeah and that's the thing like I would watch the show and I always enjoyed the music but I didn't actually realize it was these different instruments Mm. um taking over themes and things like that you just don't really notice that when you're watching you're sort of engaged with the the narrate you know the narrative and the characters and there's so much to be absorbed by in that show so music unfortunately and it happens in film as well music often uh gets relegated to the background and that it, that's kind of what good film music should be, but at the same time, it, it can still be memorable. So it's trying to um, to do a bit of both, I think. Yeah. And I think that's what's so wonderful about the Twin Peaks soundtrack. It manages to be a background player and support what's happening on screen, but it also manages to be very independent. Right, mm-hmm. right, it, and well, it's almost yeah. like it's it's a, its own character, right in in the show. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I've, I've read another writer refer to it like that, actually. We might have to, yeah. Yeah, it, it does seem like that's something that has been said, but it's uh, it's certainly it's, true. It's bear, it bears repeating, for yeah. sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so David Lynch, uh, as a filmmaker, has his visual themes that we've come to associate with his films. And his work with Bedalamenti has kind of lent a, a musical theme to a lot of his work as well. Is there any particular musical theme from a instrumentation standpoint or a musicological standpoint that you saw running through Twin Peaks? Um, I think those like uh, long sort of string suspensions okay. definitely like yeah. that sort of permeate I mean that permeates all the, their collaborations together so that really suspended synthesizer stuff that mm-hmm. Delamitty does and then I think Lynch gets in there and slows everything down and, yeah. you know, <laughs> draws it out. So right. that's definitely something that, that you, you hear all the time in their work together. Yeah. And it, and it lends a, a, a creepy mood to well, yeah, things, it's, right? It's very Lynch, Lynch yeah. feeling. Like it's, yeah, it feels like nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's wonderful because it's sort of, there will be all this sort of creepiness and then all of a sudden Bedellamenti will play this sort of beautiful chord that will rise mm. up and it, it sort of tears, you know, sort of, pulls at the heartstrings and yeah. then it goes back into the dissonance and you're kind of, which is, it, it is kind of a, a metaphor really for the, the Lynch worldview, which exactly. is, you know, the beautiful dark and everything. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, no, it's a great match. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's cool. Um, so, so Lindsay already kind of mentioned, um, and I think 
you did mention somewhere else on a podcast you heard? Yeah, I think it was on the Twin Peaks Unwrapped podcast that I was listening to as well. Um, that, that you were interested in uh, Fire Walk With Me and you did like it. Um, and that maybe one day there might be a, a Fire Walk With Me book uh, coming down the lines. So um, <laughs> did you have any kind of like initial thoughts on the music in Fire Walk With Me? Um, how is it the same? Yeah, how is, is it, it different? different? Yeah, like, and how, how did you feel about the, how music is treated in Fire Walk With Me generally too? I, I really love the soundtrack for that film. I think it's 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 it still has some similarities with Twin Peaks, the original soundtrack, but mm-hmm. it's still very much its own beast. Mm-hmm. And um, I just find it such an, a mood of gloom over that. Whereas you know, with um, the Twin Peaks soundtrack, the original one, there's a bit of a a, a bit more fun to it. And I think right. that's I think I mentioned in in the book that it, that's because you associate sort of some of the kookier characters right. with some of the music, like Audrey. You know, when Audrey has those kind of wacky moments, and mm-hmm. so when, when you hear her theme, even though it's a little bit un, um, creepy, still you still associate with her, and so there's a bit more fun and frivolousness to that music. Right. Whereas I sort of find, and it, it could be because I'm thinking of the subject of Laura Palmer and and that film of about the last days of her life and how heartbreaking it is. But whenever I listen to that Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me soundtrack, I just I just found it find it overwhelmingly gloomy. Even the the main theme, the the theme for the film, mm-hmm. um, it's just got such a mood of foreboding. Whereas mm-hmm. the Twin Peaks theme for the series is is very much it, it's uh, melancholic, but there's still a, a it, it doesn't feel like it's overwhelmingly uh, sad, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and and that's a good point. That I mean, with the show, there's so many different aspects so many different characters and it's a whole town you're kind of focusing on whereas Firewalk with me really does focus in on laura and it's her world and from her yeah. point of view so yeah it does have a, a very different uh it's just yeah a, yeah a better word okay like yeah there's <laughs> an obvious adjective here but um I mean, yeah. How could you? How could you write sort of cheery, yeah, uh, jovial numbers about this poor girl? You know exactly. Yeah, like it doesn't work with with any of those jaunty, you know, great northern okay. piano songs. They don't really work in <laughs> Firewalk with Me. Okay. But uh, and it's it's interesting to me because uh, it also the way the music is used in Firewalk with Me is a little is slightly different, mm. maybe at times. I mean, it still feels like. It's a, yeah. it's a Lynch type thing, but well, that thing um, where Laura Palmer's dancing and she's sort of a bit out of it. Yes. Um, and the, and that Pink Room theme is yes. playing. That yes. that piece of music I absolutely love, and that I think David Lynch probably had more to do with that piece of music than Bedelamenti. And right. that, I mean, it's very uh, um, repetitive, but it just sort of taps into how her mindset in that moment, and yeah. also like it's it's. I actually went and saw um, Firewalk at Me at the cinema a little while ago, and. Okay. Uh, and I'm imagining they followed like David Lynch has pretty strict guidelines about right. how his films should be screened, yeah. and it was so loud in that scene, like yes. oh, mind-numbingly loud. I loved it, but yeah. it was just like he had a, a really loud rock concert without earplugs. Yeah. No kidding. And I remember the first time we watched Firewalk with me, I thought something was wrong with our TV because yeah. I thought, what, what's happening? How can it be this loud? Like, but that's that's a total Lynch thing to do, and it yeah. and it fits with that scene so perfectly. Yeah, there's. There's no other sound. Exactly, yeah. Nothing else comes through. It's just a dead wall, right? And Mm -hmm. the music just kind of creates that effect. They're all kind of talking and, you know, slurring and and stuff. And I think that piece of music in that scene, it just works so well with the the character's state of mind in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so just last question to kind of wrap things up. What's your favorite song from the Twin Peaks soundtrack and why? (laughs) 
Oh, wow. Gosh. That's a hard one. <laughs> I know. You know what? I've always loved Into the Night. Mm. Um, I just, there's something about it. It's it's so simple, but, um, and I, I, it's something I actually love playing on the piano and singing to myself. Yeah. Just, I find it so satisfying. I don't know. I, I can't. Actually, and funnily enough, that's the one I probably wrote about the least in the book. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> it's almost like I wanted to just leave that one for myself or something. I don't know. It's mine. But yeah, that's de- I think that's definitely my favourite uh, song with Julie Cruz's vocals there. It's, yeah. it's beautiful. And I think because of the way that it's introduced in the show with it, um, it's such mm. a poignant moment where they discover Jacques' cabin and it's playing yeah. on the record player. Um, I think yeah, that... That kind of has a, well, at least influences, I think that would be one of my favorites as well. And that, I, that's, yeah. I always think of that scene. Yeah. So it's that marriage of the visual and the music in this show that kind of makes it so hard to separate the two. And when you listen to the yeah. soundtrack, the visuals just keep coming back. And it's, it's just, it's so, it's so yeah, linked. You can't. Yeah. 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 That record player and it's just a, mm-hmm. sort of in an infinite loop yes. on there. Yeah. There's always I, music I was- in the air. <laughs> Yeah, and I was thinking, like, when I was writing, I was thinking maybe this was, like, the last song she actually listened to yeah. before she was murdered yes. like, because it, it was in the in that cabin that yeah. night. So exactly. Sort of like I, I never had thought about that before until I was, was writing about the music in the different scenes. Yeah, and that definitely lends it a different uh, feeling entirely, Absolutely. right? Mm-hmm. Haunting. Yeah. Well, Claire, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. My pleasure. It was great talking to some fellow Peaks nerds. Yeah, no, always, anytime. Yeah. Um, we definitely would encourage you to check out Claire's book. It's available wherever you can find books on ebook and uh, in hard copy. Yep. Um, Claire, how can people find you on the interwebs? I'm just at, um, at Claire Norelli on Twitter. It's mm-hmm. probably the easiest place to follow me. All right. Well, thank you again. My pleasure. Thanks. So we're here today uh, to talk music once again. Music and music sound. Music and sound, the whole gamut yeah. of Twin Peaks music <laughs> and sound with Andreas Hausko. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is a lecturer in... Um, but but my I mean my thesis on noise. Oh, oh. on noise. So, Perfect. So, there you um, go. <laughs> yeah. That so that's, um, that's a pretty classic uh, way into David Lynch's work. And, yes. Uh, <laughs> Or I suppose my way into noise was through David Lynch, oh. and uh, so my thesis is also about David Lynch, and and I am hoping to get my PhD. Uh, and I'm searching, I'm getting, doing my best to get a PhD right now, and it, it's going to be if I'm lucky, it's going to be in uh, a deal. It's going to deal with uh, sound design in television. Okay. So uh, that would of course also lead me into talking about or writing about David Lynch uh, in particular about Twin Peaks but it's also about it would also be about other modern day shows yes exactly and and that is how we found out about you was uh, you've written a book uh, TV Peaks which is Twin Peaks and modern television drama Uh, Lindsay has a copy right here with us and uh, yeah we particularly really liked your section on music and sound design and everything so and then also recently you you released a couple of video essays and one of them was on noise and sound in david lynch's films 
and it was fascinating to watch. So we were, were super excited to reach out to you and that you agreed to sit down with us and, and have a chat uh, about sound and music in Twin Peaks. So. Yeah. Oh, 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 I'm happy you wanted to, to talk with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how did you first encounter Twin Peaks? Oh, I did, I did that back in, well, when it came to Denmark. It came to Denmark in, in November of 1990, and back then I was nine years old. Okay. But uh, I, I, there wasn't that much on television in Denmark back then. We had only two channels, really. Yeah. And uh, so we were, everybody was watching our main channel, which is the Danish Broadcasting Corporation, or DR, and they aired Twin Peaks back then. So I watched it, uh, you know, uh, without knowing what it was. Yeah. My mother was watching it. Uh-huh. I think she just thought it was, you know, your everyday run-of-the-mill uh, whodunit or yes. something like that. It's, that would have been to her liking, I think. Okay. But uh, uh, I was just sitting in the background watching it back then, and uh, I don't remember too much of it apart from a few things. Like I remember the introductory comments before the infamous uh, episode 14 mm. uh, saying that small children shouldn't be watching, and I would have been about 10 uh, or just just 9 or 10 years old mm. when that uh, show, that episode aired, mm. and I remember being totally traumatized really? by it. So, uh, so I suppose that was uh, my way into to Twin Peaks and David Lynch because I, I had to go back and see what it was that, uh, that you know, scared me shitless back when <laughs> I was 9 and 10 years old. Yeah. Right, no kidding. Awesome. That's a scary episode, too. Yes, and yes. lots of lots of things to talk about with sound in that yeah. I think we could get into. Yes, it's, yes. A, a, it's a sonically very interesting episode, I think. Absolutely, yeah. Um, how so? Just in general, how do you think, uh, or how do you feel, sound and music operate within Twin Peaks or within the wider world of David Lynch? How does he use it, and how does it operate? Well, I think there are some very interesting things. Uh, first off, I think that uh, he used new technologies that came out mm-hmm. in terms of television sound uh, in 1990, 1991. Right in order to create a much more cinematic use of sound than what people would be, would be used to hearing in television back then. Glenn Glenn Sound had, had improved technologies in terms of surround, uh, surround sound and, and new types of uh, audio editing equipment. So they could do some things that you couldn't have done previously. And uh, I think he put that to good use in terms of, you know, uh, he's he's known for using drones and and for having long stretches of what seems to be silence, but in fact it has this you know quiet drone mm-hmm. uh, that just keeps repeating itself on the soundtrack, and he uses that quite a lot. Mm-hmm. He also uses subjective sound quite a lot in Twin Peaks, and then of course apart from the you know the general use of light motifs in the entire show that keep repeating themselves and in different variations he also uses uh, sound and music in, a, in sort of a contrapuntal way so uh, he sound either sort of goes against what you see on the uh, in the images or in the pictures uh, which creates these kind of ambiguous competing moods that mm-hmm. david lynch is so known for all they uh, function as almost, you know, subjective, expressive qualities in and of themselves. Like there's this great, great, great sequence from the pilot episode where we notice 
example where it's sort of dawns on people that Laura is missing because perhaps something bad has happened. Mm -hmm. And that sound, that airy, hollow wind sound, which we hear just as we cut down to the empty chair and then we cut to Donna and we, as we cut to the empty chair, we hear this hollow wind sound, yeah. of something akin to <laughs> on, on the soundtrack. That was actually uh, created uh, by use of modern technology. They could store the sound of David Lynch doing that sound with his mouth. They could store that in the RAM and then uh, compete, uh, you know, and then use it in sort of a an endless uh, mm -hmm. loop. Right, so right. that was how they did that. A, a sound that was also used in Firewalk with Me, yes. in that classic scene where Laura and Donna are talking about floating in space. Right. So it's so even when he's trying to convey something expressively, not like not not, not just to get. Uh, conveying a mood, but perhaps to illustrate something as difficult to illustrate as absence mm -hmm. or nothingness. Mm -hmm. he, he uses sound in an expressive way, not just the cutting pattern, but, um, but the, the sound itself becomes a very vital figure, I think. But, but of course, the, the very expressionistic use of these animalistic sounds, mm -hmm. like the slow, the slow motion sound in episode 14 where yes. we cut from the roadhouse to hearing the uh, record player and then um, this combination of real-time sound of the record player uh, and um, and this almost animalistic slow motion sound of uh, Leland and Bob uh, is, um, is something that also seems to be very typically Lynchian in a way. you did mention it in the book even was uh the diegetic versus non-diegetic uh use of music throughout the oh yeah the thing and that so how do you feel he uses or to what effect does he use that most often oh well i think um i think i suppose most lynch fans would agree that there's something very interesting in the way that he sort of continually toys with our understanding of what's real and not mm -hmm. real yes. in his films and and uh, the, the use of slippage or this this way that he sort of goes from diegetic to non-diegetic sound and, mm -hmm. and what seems to be non-diegetic is suddenly diegetic or something mm -hmm. like it right. is a way that he continually sort of, he does this continuous rug pulling mm -hmm. thing. Uh, like when, 
I mean, we know in the in the beginning of the classical Club Silentio scene mm-hmm. in, in, in Mulholland Drive, we know that it's all an illusion. We've heard it yes. uh, before she starts singing. But then um, w- for some reason, because of the way that it cuts and because the sound of Rebecca Del Rio singing is in fact and uh, it's in fact a taped version of her singing a cappella at her first meeting with David Lynch. So it sounds kind of authentic, yes. and we're kind of we're kind of thrown into the, the illusion of her actually singing there. So when she falls over, um, we we're kind of taken aback by it, even though we knew that it's all an illusion. Right. And I think the same is is is, uh, is true for Twin Peaks in in many scenes. One of my favorites being. Uh, the much maligned scene from Lynch's coma episode, where um, where we have uh, you know uh, Donna and Maddie and right. James uh, just seemingly singing and performing this "Just You and I" or "Just yeah. You" song, yes. a, a very corny, banal, sentimental song, and it's a classical soapy scene in a way. Mm-hmm. But there are so many strange mismatches and discrepancies that make us, you know, constantly think of this as not a diegetic song, even though it's, it's, it seems to be diegetic. Right. I mean, uh, James's singing voice is so uh, unlike his speaking yes. voice, which seems eerie or uncanny. Uh, there are elements of instrumentation that shouldn't be there. I mean, we can hear bass, guitar, and percussion and yes. stuff like that, which is clearly not featured visually. Uh, and there are some um, other elements there that create a, a, a sense of sort of a sonic mismatch. The physical and the musical room, they don't match. Uh, and that could be, um, you know, that could be a subtle setup leading us to um, to understand that something isn't right. Uh, or it could, weigh, uh, could, on the other hand, be a way of sort of uh, um, making us sort of drop our guard so that when finally Bob enters, uh, enters the frame uh, at the very back uh, of the frame, yes. in Maddie's point of view, we're sort of caught, caught off, guard, off guard and we don't know uh, how to deal with it. I think that's what he does often is he, he sort of does this continual rock pulling thing mm-hmm. that he's, uh, he's so great at. I mean, there and there are many instances where he does this. We have instances of a song uh, seemingly just being part of the soundtrack, but then uh, somebody changes the channel uh, in a car radio right. or something like right. it. So that's a, an, another typical example of how he does it. Right. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, kind of lulling you into into a sense of what you think is going to happen and then totally changing your perception of, of what's happening on screen. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's what he does continually because first and foremost, his films, I, th- I think he would say at least, mm-hmm. uh, his films and his, his TV series are about, uh, to him, about mood, about creating yes. a certain mood and conveying a certain mood. Yes. And when you talk to the people who've actually worked on the sound with him, what they all say is that to David it wasn't important uh, uh, what you were trying to convey, mm-hmm. or and then he would analyze stuff. He would always, you know, say something uh, to create this kind of mood, or we want um, a sad mood or something yes, like it. So yeah. I think to him it's it's really about that. So um, that 
how he, he used the sound, but and then we can analyze it and try to yeah. figure out what we think it means. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. That's half the fun. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's also interesting. Um, one of the things that we've learned recently is that a lot of the music that um, he and Angela Badalamenti um, worked on was created before the actors even set foot on the on the set. Yeah. And so right. the music actually plays a role in their acting because he'd play the song or he'd play something similar to that for them to kind of react to or to create that mood. And that yeah. seems to me and to Aiden and, uh, to be kind of unique in terms of uh, TV and movie production. I, I, we don't obviously we don't know, but here you are, this expert on <laughs> on TV and uh, noise, yeah. and noise and everything. So uh, I mean, is that is that typical, or that's that's fairly rare, or? Oh, that is that is definitely rare. Yeah. I mean, there are instances. There were in instances in Miami Vice, for example, where they played popular musical tracks sure. uh, to sort of set the tone yeah. uh, while they were shooting the scene. Right. Uh, but, but usually you wouldn't uh, for, for, I suppose, mostly technical reasons. But uh, David Lynch did it a lot in, in Twin Peaks. I've uh, talked with Bart Lamenti about it too. And, and he, he sort of compares Lynch's approach and their uh, companionship to to that of uh, Sergio Leone and Ennio Morricone. Mm, interesting. Uh, and I think they're they're comparable because it's as if um, you can see it in not only you know the way they move it, it, the way they move, but it's also it, it also spills into the entire mood of a certain scene. Right. Of course, the the classic being the scene where Audrey um, suddenly <laughs> chooses to dance yes. in a very slow fashion to the music. Right. All of that was, according to Bartolomenti, done um, done uh, in the way that we actually see it. So she actually did dance to that music, and it was actually made for her wow. before that particular scene was ever shot. And wow. it's become an iconic scene. Yeah. We've heard similar stories from other of Lynch's productions, like Henry Rollins has famously told about that scene from Lost Highway uh, in the prison, right. um, that, that they played this very loud uh, industrial music by Trent Reznor uh -huh. in order to sort of uh, almost, you know, give them a physical, a visceral sense of the music when they were walking. And, mm -hmm. and it does almost seem as if something is pulling him down yeah. while he's walking. Mm -hmm. So it, it, they, they come to walk in a different way. Yeah. They yes. move in a different way. And, yeah. uh, and I suppose that's why Twin Peaks seems so overly musical when you look at it. You, yeah. you, it's difficult not to get engaged with or to sort of fall into that world because it's... Uh, it is almost like being part of a of a musical experience, right? Uh, and and I mean, so if some of the music was played while they were doing it, and then some of the music, of course, is actually almost performed in the actual show. Sure. I think that's that's also something that is clearly a Lynch-like signature, mm -hmm. even in those episodes that weren't made by Lynch. Right. I mean. Uh, so we have uh, the, my favorite being the Pennsylvania 65,000 yes, scene. Yes, right. Be, uh, be, because that is just, to me, that's so uh, Lynchian in every which way. Right. We have uh, this hysterical happy jazz, and of course it's a Glenn Miller track, so it's, it's again, again a, a typical Lynch choice uh, playing.
thing, and we and we even see the record player, uh, sort of a, a classic visual cue used in Lynch's films. Sometimes we also hear the record player as a way to indicate, uh, I suppose, the old uh, and its collision with the new. So we have the old technology of a record player playing an old track. It's a hysterical happy jazz track, and Leland is dancing, and then he's dancing with Boris Frodo, and we understand it to be at this point in time, even though we might not know Leland has done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think all of us would think of this as a somewhat strange scene, uh, if not a crazy scene mm-hmm. or a very tragic scene. Mm-hmm. And it, at the end, as we very slowly segue from, uh, we cut into Leland, and then we segue, you know, slowly from the diegetic music to uh, to a variation of Laura Palmer's theme. Right. Uh, and that slow, gradual segue uh, where we cut into Leland and where um, where we change from diegetic, hysterical, happy jazz to a non-diegetic, melancholy track right. is such a beautiful way of telling us uh, how this... Uh, how this crazy uh, scene is in fact deeply tragic and i think uh, this idea of stuff being replayed and repeated um, in different variations sometimes what seems to be uh, happy or positive in one scene is is repeated or replayed in a new tragic version later on. Right. I think that's so typically Lynchian in many ways. Mm-hmm, yeah. Absolutely. And I, I find that really interesting because it's really it's it's subtle cues that of how you're supposed to be interpreting the the scene and how and it plays with your emotions in different ways. And I, um, Lindsay brought up this point uh, earlier today. We were talking about it. How Lynch also kind of has instructions for how his movies are supposed to be played and how uh, the volume is supposed to be used in... In theaters. In theaters, yeah. exactly, once, once yeah. it's actually played in theaters. Um, so do you, how do you see that kind of working? Like, Do you think it's kind of a, a way to try and, again, guide the audience, or is it more of like almost like a, a domineering trait, like he's trying to control the, the subjective experience of the, the, the viewer? Well, uh, I think both without it to me it's not a negative thing but yeah. I think that David Lynch you know however you whether you like him or not that's really a subjective thing of course but I, I really think he, he is an auteur in that sense yeah. I mean so he's a, he is trying to control every detail in his in his films and I understand why and I think I've heard many sound people talk about this. Many sound designers talk about this. I understand why it would be annoying if you have um, an idea about volume mm. uh, and they turn the volume down. Right. There are many filmmakers like uh, I've talked with uh, Odile, one of the uh, sound creators behind Irreversible, uh, mm-hmm. talking about the idea of using sub-audible frequencies as a way to physically provoke the audience. And yes. some people actually had seizures in cinema while they were looking at that wow. film or watching. Uh, but, and then because of, it, of that, in consequence, the consequence of that was that cinemas, they started lowering the volume right. because they didn't want people to have seizures. I can understand that, but <laughs> that was actually, I mean, how, however horrible that sound, that was, that was, that was the idea behind it. Right. The same was the idea behind the, the, the sound of the clitoris cutting scene in, uh, in, uh, 
years film Antichrist, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and that sound was also, they also lowered the volume for that particular sound. So yeah. I think many sound designers, they have an idea as to what should be the volume, what should be the intensity, how should this particular sound be felt, mm-hmm. because it's part of a visual experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that the Lynch's films are, and Twin Peaks also, all of them are very deeply visceral. So I could understand why mm-hmm. he would want a certain volume. And mm-hmm. I can, I remember why I talked with Douglas Murray, sound designer Douglas Murray, about this too. I remember how people reacted to Fire Walk with me. Uh-huh. And some people reacted very negatively uh, toward the sound design in that film, which is brilliant yes. <laughs> uh, because of the, of the sound levels. Right. People thought that it was like it was a mistake in the traffic scene that we can't really hear mm. what, what the, the one-armed man is saying. Yeah. Or in the classic pink room right. scene, mm-hmm. they're having this entire dialogue and it, then it was later on, it was subtitled. Yeah. But uh, uh, we can't really hear what they're talking about. We can sort of just mm, barely make it out or we can sense it. But I'm not sure it, it's even necessary for us to understand exactly what the one-armed man is saying yeah. right. to Lori that scene. When we understand that he's saying, it's him, it's your father, yeah. all of it makes sense in a very tragic way. But, but even though we can't make that out, I think everyone can experience this sheer vis- visceral and expressive sense of that scene, and we yes. can understand that this is trying to mirror uh, how Laura is feeling her yes. her total tragic descent into Hades, yes. and uh, I mean we can hear that the the dog barking, the right. the, the very loud sound of the engine and uh, mm-hmm. the brakes and um, small non diegetic sounds being added to the soundtrack too. Um, so I think I think that the that's that's part of how, how he works and mm-hmm. and um, of course he would want theaters uh, to work in accordance with his vision yes. i think in that sense he's no different from other so-called auteurs and yeah. sometimes i think we can think of auteurs as sometimes kind of um domineering as you say mm-hmm. but uh, or it's part of pushing your vision through and I mean he did um, according to all the people who worked with him and uh, that was kind of what was different different from Twin Peaks and other television shows was that they had spotting sessions mm-hmm. every time they did an episode that uh, David Lynch would be talking with the sound designers right. and the sound creators of the different episodes uh, as to what his thoughts were and they would be spotting the sound with him yeah. And that's something that, I mean, you wouldn't hear on a show like Hill Street Blues, however right. cool that show was. Yeah. So very that involved. was totally groundbreaking. So are there other directors that have influenced Lynch's use of sound that might be worth checking out for our listeners or for us, or or other directors that you think have been heavily influenced by Lynch? Oh, well, yes. Oh, The latter, uh, definitely. There are many uh, mm-hmm. that have been influenced by him, I think. Um, well, I th- he's, he's, I don't know if he, he would agree, agree that he's, I don't know, he wouldn't say who, who, who he's inspired yeah. by directly, I think, but um, I think there are some similarities between his use of sound and, and what uh, an old French, uh, an old French avant-garde filmmaker, Sean Epstein, has called mm-hmm. slow motion sound. Okay. He was one of the first uh, in France 
Uh, and I think that's what David Lynch does when he slows down the sound of the human voice and makes it almost animalistic in right. episode 14 or in Blue Velvet. Right. Or, and that's what David Lynch does when he slows down the sound of people uh, yelling, as in the grandmother, it sounds almost like dogs barking. Yes. Um, and so he, he uses a slow motion sound almost in an Epsteinian fashion mm -hmm. to mirror deeper levels of what people are going through in his, in his work. Mm -hmm. uh, he's also clearly inspired by both visually and sonically um, by the um, Oh, Jesus Christ, Fritz uh, Lang, of course, that's what I was going for. Uh, because uh, we have a, a film like M, um, the old thriller f from 1931. Right. Uh, according to Douglas Murray, that was actually a film they talked about when making, uh, when making that classic scene I mentioned before from the pilot with the empty chair and the yes. hollow wind sound. Yes. Uh, we have it, that almost directly paraphrases the scene from M where Elsie has been murdered by the child murderer in that film. And it also uses sound in a pretty interesting way. Um, so I think uh, those are perhaps some of, his, of some of his influences. Many would point to a guy like Buñuel. Uh, right. and, and Lynch himself, would, if we were to point to someone, he would point to Shakti uh, I think. Shakti mm -hmm. uh, has a very inventive use of sound, different sound effects. Um, but in a, most in a, in a comical way, mm, okay. and, and David Lynch does that too. I mean, mm -hmm. Twin Peaks has a lot of co comical yeah. sound effects. Right. Some of them seem strikingly comical by mm -hmm. today's standards. I think, um, like I just uh, rewatched the first episode of the second season, which is a, a great, great episode. Yeah. But that running gag with the hospital food. Yes. Yeah. And the bubbling. Yeah. <laughs> and that scene, I don't know what, I don't know quite what to make of it. <laughs> because the rest of that episode is just, I mean, it, the entire episode is so great. But that running gag is there's something, I don't know, kind of, kind of um, strangely comical about right. it. But that could be sort of part of his like influence to mm. and, and 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 to to then answer the question who who has he influenced yeah. i mean that question it's easy to answer i think who had any influence in terms of issues of sound i think mm. even those that don't really like david lynch's films they um, usually acknowledge his use of sound yeah. and uh, like Quentin Tarantino might have liked David Lynch up until he made Fire Walk with Me. Right. Like yeah. he kind of famously denounced that film, yeah. but but you couldn't watch a Tarantino film and not think that his use of contrapuntal sound has been inspired by Kubrick and Lynch. Right. Uh, because of course Kubrick did that already in 1971 in his in Apocalypse. Uh, sorry, in a Clockwork Orange. Right. Uh, yeah. We have that classic scene. But Lynch has used that recurringly throughout his work. So when when today we think of Reservoir Dogs as a as a, as a good example of uh, of of contrapuntal music, I think it it owes a lot to both Kubrick and Lynch. Right. Um, and and uh, a guy like Todd Solondz, for example, yeah. uh, in Happiness, it seems like his use of competing moods is very. Mm -hmm. Is 
very it's very Lynchian and the the style of music that is that is used in, in Lynch's work has been copied and paraphrased in so many contexts that it's virtually impossible to you know not to notice it mm-hmm. uh, I know that one modern show like say stranger things for example mm-hmm. uh, the sound editor on that show adam jenkins was also a sound editor on twin peaks mm-hmm. and he actually said that it was that it was directly inspired by twin peaks so they wanted him to uh to work with sort of a twin peaks like use of sound to create a sense of transitions between different realms or planes mm-hmm. in that show yeah yeah and, and that, and I think that totally makes sense because, I mean, we have what the ending of the Stranger Things with uh, the scene where he watches himself in the mirror that right. seems like a ripoff of Twin Peaks in a way, <laughs> yeah. right? And we have that idea of different worlds or being in between different worlds, right. the upside down and the real world. Mm-hmm. And in Twin Peaks, perhaps, I mean, that entire idea of being between different worlds seems to... Uh, be mirrored in in the use of of sound mm. and noise. Right. So both visually and sonically, noise is often a way to illustrate that you are sort of now transitioning between two different planes. In uh, in Fire Walk with Me, we have it as the very first visual cue, and we hear it continually uh, on the soundtrack. And then we have like in Lost Highway, where he, uh, where we transition really at the very point that. Uh, we have the visual noise from the from the television screen when Fred is watching his videotape and the, and the sonic noise and then transition into him being uh, accused of being a, uh, accused yeah. of being a white murderer. Right? Yes. Yeah. So those transitions seem to be very important to Lynch. They're clearly a part of Twin Peaks, and that seems to have inspired new shows. But you know, you can listen to any modern sh- modern TV show that tries to have sort of a, a mysterious, enigmatic, or uh, unreal element to it, and it'll be more or less directly influenced by Twin Peaks. And right. uh, many, many modern directors that play with um, that play with contrapuntal music or sure. subjective sound will mm-hmm. be inspired by Lynch. Cantrieu, uh, who made Sombre in France, has as mentioned Lynch as a, as a direct reference. The, the sound designer uh, on uh, The Night Off, the new miniseries, okay. said that, uh, that, uh, that the template for that show was Eraserhead. Uh, <laughs> and ironically, the visual sound in The Night Off was made by Frederick Elms, okay. who shot Eraserhead. Yes. So, uh, um, and, and, and there are so many like that. Not that long ago, I watched the Danish show which isn't that good and has nothing to do with Twin Peaks, but it copies directly, like almost note to note. Some, uh, I don't know, it's sort of on the border of something which would be called stealing, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, it borrows note for note almost some of the classic elements from Twin Peaks uh, music. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a Twin Peaks like show at all, so it's not an homage. Because, of course, there are many shows like that, right? And we have Northern Exposure and all that stuff. But that's something else completely. And I think that's sort of slightly less interesting. The interesting thing is how influential his use of sound um, has been 
yeah, series. So. That same show. Yeah, exactly. What, so in that vein, um, thinking about where we've been and where we're headed, what are you expecting or hoping to hear when Twin Peaks returns next month with this new cast of you know, singers and people being invited to, to play in this world? What are you, what are you hoping for? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I'm hoping that uh, I think they went uh, pretty far with the original Twin Peaks, uh, actually, as far as, as one could have ever hoped for. Mm. Uh, but I'm thinking that um, it's a premium cable show. People are used to uh, slightly more cinematic television by now. Yeah. So I would hope that they well, sort of just go all in. Yeah. Uh, uh, and um, I'm thinking that they would do that. Uh, and, and given that Cooper's story seems to be <laughs> uh, um, uh, tragically repetitive of what we've seen earlier in the show, right. um, I'm guessing that we would be delving into pretty dark places, yeah. and that would naturally entail some pretty dark, uh, some pretty dark music and uh, and, a, and, a, and a lot of noise. I'm yeah. hoping. Right. And so. Bartolomenti is back, and and so that ensures uh, um, one of the most important and iconic elements of the show. Yes. I think that there will be a bridge clearly between the original show and the new show. Yeah. Um, and I think that it'll be sonically closer to the original than it will be visually. Yes. Um, and because visually, uh, you know, uh, style has just changed so much and right. it'll be a different format and it'll, it, uh, I'm sure it will be slightly more digitally uh, stylized but right. um, but I'm hoping that we'll be uh, hearing some great drones on the soundtrack yeah. uh, akin to his old uh, collaborations with Alan Splett right. and I'm sh- yeah I, I think that it'll be like that and I'm I'm certain that the Badalamenti's music will play a, a vital, vital role, yeah. um, and then as we, uh, as we, I don't know what will happen in the new show, but as we um, continue to follow Cooper's uh, descent into madness or what has happened in the following years, yeah. um, I'm sure that uh, right, that will also uh, be mirrored on, on the soundtrack to sure. the use of subjective noise and, and, and all that. Many of these singers that he uses have they have similar qualities. Many sure. of them are sort of 
slightly operatic. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and they and they, uh, they often they're often great at conveying a sense of sort of very deep emotion and mm-hmm. longing. Mm-hmm. His films are all about longing. Right. Twin Peaks is also about longing and and about yearning. You know, yeah. we're all yearning to get back into that world. And yeah. uh, and it. But um, yeah, I'm afraid. Uh, I'm afraid it'll be. Uh, uh, we're gonna. We're going to witness yet another tragedy yeah. repeating itself on end. But then that's that's what what that's, <laughs> that's what films usually exactly. about. Exactly. That, that's what you get when you when you're <laughs> buying into the to the experience. So that's good. Yeah. No, that's great. Um. So just getting a little more lighthearted. Do Do you have a favorite um character or like a character theme or song, um, or even just a favorite sonic moment from Twin Peaks that you'd like to share? Oh yeah. Well, there are. There are so many. I think to mention something that is lynching in terms of sound, and then something that is not lynching. Sure. Uh, I uh, absolutely, I absolutely love the opening of Todd Holland's episode from the second season. Yeah. Uh, where we hear this, Daddy, yes. Daddy. Oh, yes. We can't really make it out whether it's Maddie or Daddy. Yeah. It says, uh, it says so on the. It says what it's supposed to say on, in the subtitles, but uh-huh. actually. According to the sound editor on that that episode, we weren't made, uh, meant to be able to sonically make it out. So I like that. That's a great use of sound. Yes. And then from sort of a Lynch episode, I think I'd mention, uh, I would mention, or well, having already mentioned episode 14, which I think is so difficult to mm. not to mention here, yeah. I think I would, uh, well, yes, I would mention uh, Jimmy Scott. I've got I mean, that's such a great, great, that's an example of one of those quote-unquote live performances in his work. It's a larger-than-live um, song, and it's, and in Jimmy Scott, Scott is just such a great figure to have inside that world of Twin Peaks, because, you know, in a way, he's the, you know, he's the opposite to Julie Cruz, in a way. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, so he mirrors Julie Cruz, he's her opposite, yeah. and Sycamore Tree even has elements that are variations upon uh, the, the main theme of Twin Peaks. So yes. it's as if um, it's as if it is sort of a again one to carry the repetition of elements that we see in Twin Peaks. Yes. It keeps repeating and replaying itself in different variations mm-hmm. throughout. Uh, my favorite character, I, can, I simply can't mention just one, but <laughs> I think. Uh, I think Leland and Sarah Palmer yeah. uh, are my favorites um, within the world of Twin Peaks. If we yeah. take the entire universe, include all texts, uh, then Laura Palmer would be my favorite because sure. I think uh, her, the way she plays in Firewalk with me is um, is I know I don't know I've ever ever seen anything quite as uh, as gripping as that film yes. and. Uh, She's just amazing in that film, Shirley. And so yeah. I'm hoping that she'll be back in a new incarnation. She'll be Judy, I'm hoping. <laughs> oh, yeah. Show. <laughs> right? That sounds good. Kim Novak's character, the double to Madeline yeah. in right. Vertigo is Judy. So, yeah. and we're not going to talk about Judy. Yeah. I'm right. going to talk about Judy when the new season comes along. Oh, that's All fantastic. Right. I, I, I hadn't heard it, yeah. that theory. That, that's, that's, that, that could work. Absolutely. I like it. Yeah. That's great. 
Um, so what projects are you working on currently? Well, uh, I am working on three different projects, actually, yeah. that are connected to Twin Peaks and David Lynch in okay. different ways. Uh, I'm working on a, on an English version of my Danish monograph, but they will essentially be two different books okay. because I've done a lot of interview stuff since my Danish book came out, and yeah. this one will it's called The Art of Paradox, so it's about the ambiguous or uh, ambiguity in David Lynch's work okay. uh, on different levels, um, and it'll be about everything he's done from the oldest of his uh, short films to. You know, his commercials and, and music videos and his most recent of films. Right. Um, and then with Joe Bacco, I am working on, we're just in the very opening stages of working on a, on a book about Mark Frost. There isn't anyone out there. Oh. And uh, we sort of, uh, I think we've struck a chord, both of us think that it's kind of sad that, I mean, while I loved David Lynch, he was my reason for ever studying film. Um, I think it's a shame that people tend to forget how great Mark Frost is. And and he's also a very central part of Twin Peaks. And and I think he can sort of, when David David Lynch can go into digressions and he can do strange stuff and he can be fascinated with fragments and images Mm. and sounds, and then Mark Frost can sort of be be sort of a narrative captain steering the boat sometimes, I think. Right. Uh, yeah. So we're, we're going to delve into his work and see if we can find also some, I think we will be able to find, I hope, some surprising uh, surprising elements that link uh, Twin Peaks and things we even saw, thought were Lynch in yeah. Twin Peaks to Mark Frost's yeah. work, uh, work. And then finally, as I mentioned earlier, um, uh, having worked as an external lecturer for some years, uh, I can't keep doing that if I'm not, um, if I won't get my PhD. And uh, I was kind of on the verge of getting a PhD in Copenhagen many years ago uh, in noise, uh, okay. but uh, for many different reasons, I went to Aarhus instead. And, and now I'm hoping to revisit that uh, area, but in the form of a, of a sort of a production-oriented um a production-oriented uh, research study into okay. the sound design and television, okay. uh, which would uh, which would naturally be parallel to my, at this point, working on a book mm-hmm. about sound design sure. together with a Danish sound designer called Peter Elbrechtsen, who is kind of, yeah, one of, he isn't too, I, I suppose he's only well-known in, in, in circles that have to do with sound, sure. but uh, he's worked with uh, Nicholas Winding Refn and, Dan- and Lars von Trier and other mm-hmm. such great directors in Denmark. He's okay. kind of famous in Denmark. Right. So we'll be trying to bridge that gap between the practical world uh, and the world of practitioners and the world of, of scholars and theoreticians, mm-hmm. uh, two worlds that almost never meet. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, uh, and that's and uh, I'm interested in those intermediate spaces. Mm-hmm. We we'll find David Lynch's work, but uh, I'm interested in crossing borders in many different ways. Yeah. And I think that's a border that I don't know why people. I don't know why those two worlds never shall meet. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's great. Interesting. Yeah, Very that cool. sounds really interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. Uh, so. Uh, finally, uh, how can people get in touch with you on social media? Do you have a Twitter account you use? Yeah, I, yeah, I do. It's just my name, okay. Andreas Salsko, and then, or otherwise, people can find me on Facebook. Yes. 
suppose I'm... Um, use Facebook more than I use Twitter, but yeah. uh, I, I have a Twitter profile and I have a Facebook mm-hmm. profile and both, uh, you know, just my name. Yeah. Otherwise, they, everyone can feel free to, if they, if, I don't know why they would want to, but <laughs> if, if people would want to contact me, they could write uh, me on my email too, but yeah. find me on, uh, on my email, just my name, andreashousko at gmail.com, okay. or you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, or or sometimes on my personal blog, which is called the Room, which is a which is Danish for the Red Room. Okay. okay, awesome. As you as you may or may not know, it's actually the it's actually the title of an old text by Steinbeck. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, that. Scandinavian dramatist. Yeah. Oh, yes. So uh, the Room, it. Yeah, and uh, so <laughs> I don't know if Lynch was ever inspired by that, but uh, who <laughs> it's knows? Another tie back. That's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, we would encourage people to contact you anyway, just yes. to keep in touch with these amazing projects that you're working mm-hmm. on, and um, especially the Mark Frost book. I think you're right that yeah. that's he's kind of a um, underrepresented in in the world of Twin Peaks scholarly research, and and that's kind of a shame because yeah. he is without well, yeah, he was, him you he was don't half have the Twin show. Peaks. Yeah, he's half the half the creative force, so that's that's big. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's great. Okay, so thank you very much for joining us. Yeah. Uh, any final thoughts or anything else you want to add? Yeah, well, no, I just thank you for ha- having me. It was a great fun uh, to talk with you, and I, I hope uh, that you'll be able to, you know, uh, cut out whatever noise was part of what I said, and, and, and hopefully there was a message or two uh, somewhere in there. Yeah, well, we, we got it. Don't worry. Message received, for sure. Okay. Thank Thanks you. so much, Andres. Yeah, thank you. So that was our set of interviews on the music and sound of Twin Peaks. And David Lynch. And David Lynch. Thank you again to Andreas and to Claire for being excellent interviewees. Yes. Uh, They saved us from making complete fools of ourselves. (laughs) Um, Trying to talk about music on our own would not have gone well. We certainly do not have the, the knowledge... That's why we, we call on these experts exactly. to come in and, and you know, hopefully impart something to you as listeners that you can then go off and continue this exploration, especially now as we head into season three. Mm-hmm. So we hope you enjoyed that.